0: Amen. Let's take our Bibles this morning. Please turn to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2. Young people, enjoy your junior church hour. Well, let me say a couple things before we uh, get into the message today. We have a couple baptisms right at the end of the service. We're thankful for uh, Amy Sloat and Sarah Stride both submitting to the Lord in baptism today. And so. Right after, as soon as I finish my message, you can slip out and get changed in the change room on this side, if you would, and uh, we'll we'll have that right after the service. I want to just take a minute or two and mention tonight, Sunday night connect. All right, we've planned this for a few weeks now, and so what is going on is that our evening service at five o'clock, we'll meet here. We're going to sing a couple songs. We have uh, one special. We're glad to have the Mejia family with us tonight. And uh, they're traveling, and, and he's been preaching in different places. And uh, they're going to be here tonight. And uh, Annie is going to play the piano and sing. And I don't know if you've been keeping up with her at all, but as she's getting bigger, she's becoming more talented. And she plays and sings and just does a great job. So Annie's going to sing for us tonight, and uh, we're looking forward to that. And then we'll dismiss a little bit early. Brother Calvin's going to bring a short message. And then we're going to go to our connection groups. And I would encourage you, if you're new to our church or you're not yet in a connection group, This is a great way to get fellowship. And you say, I've I've always believed this, that God will only give us what he can trust us with. And as the church grows and as we grow, we need to prepare for that growth. And the best way to get the support that you need is in a connection group. Uh, You might call it Sunday school, whatever you want. Uh, That's fine. But sometimes the reason we we change the name to connection groups in all honesty is because most people hear the word Sunday school and they think of children. They don't realize that we have something for all ages. But I also wanted it to be more than just our Sunday school class. We want you to have fellowships. And we want you to have that support group that you desire and need. And so I would encourage you to get involved. So tonight when you come, you'll receive one of these pieces of paper. And it has all the different connection group activities listed on it. And then on the back, it has a map. You take the color of the star. If you're in foundations, you got a gold star. And you look on the map, and the gold star has the map to the judge's house. All right? Here's the thing all the activities are on Highway 3. It's a Highway 3 Connect group tonight, all right? Every activity. Brother Cody lives on Highway 3. Brother Calvin lives on Highway 3. The judges live on Highway 3. And so all the groups will be meeting and they have different activities. You need to find out what those are, all right? So, teenagers, tonight you're having a potluck. So, you bring food. Pretty simple. You'll meet in the gymnasium, and you'll play some shuffleboard and games and have some fellowship together after the service tonight. Kingdom Builders, that's Brother Tony Baker's class, they had to slip out this morning. They were here for Sunday school. They have a baby dedication. One of their grandbabies is being dedicated today, and so they went to that. But they're back tonight, and they're going to meet in the olive room, and they also are having a potluck supper, so bring a dish for that. The foundations class is meeting at Rob and Judy Judge's house, and this is partly my problem. They already are my fault. They had an activity already scheduled for this past Friday, and so they didn't want to put a burden on everybody. So they are providing pulled pork sandwiches for everybody that comes. And so, praise the Lord, I'm glad I made that mistake. And uh, so, they're going to have pulled pork sandwiches at their house tonight, and uh, if you're in the foundations class, And then we have young adults, ages about 18 to 30, around that age. They're going to go to Calvin and Amanda Baker's house, and they're going to have some potluck supper as well and some board games. And then the teens are going to Brother Cody's house. They will take a church van from here at the church, and they'll return here at 8 o'clock. So parents... After church, you can just send your kids to the church van if you have teenagers, and they can go over to Brother Cody's. They're going to do a bonfire over there, and they have some supper planned as well. And so that's uh, grades 7 to 12, and they'll return here about 8 o'clock. So come tonight and pick up one of these, and that'll tell you what you need to do. But I needed to let you know... Uh for four of those groups you need to or three of those groups you need to bring a a potluck dinner, okay? So plan on that. I'm I'm hoping your group leaders already planned on that. Now, if you say, I'm not, I don't know where to go, I don't know what group I fit into, just come tonight and we'll steer you in the right direction. All right. We'll we'll get you connected somewhere. But it's important to have that fellowship. And those that come always enjoy fellowship. And so we're planning on that tonight, all right? Mark chapter two, turn there this morning. Mark chapter two. And uh, again, I, I, often, I often say this, I just kind of tripped over a verse, and the Lord burned my heart about something this week that I, I, never, I had not really seen before. I, I've read it before, and I, I've preached this passage before, but I didn't understand the concept of what Jesus was teaching the people in Mark chapter 2. And, and, and I, I'm thankful that every time you read the Bible, God can give you something new. Amen? Uh, his mercies are new every morning. And so I think that part of those mercies is what he reveals to us from his word. It helps us and helps us to grow. Mark chapter 2, the Bible says, And again he entered into Capernaum after some days, and it was noise that he was in the house. Let me just say it this way. Jesus went home. He said, "Well, isn't Jesus of Nazareth?" Yes, but he most of his earthly ministry. Once he was of age, he he dwelt in Capernaum, and he centered his ministry out of Capernaum. As a matter of fact, if you were to go to Israel today, you would see a big sign as you're entering Capernaum. It says, "The City of Jesus." That's that's kind of what their claim is. That that's where Jesus lived. And verse two says, "In a straightway many were gathered together, insomuch that there was no room to receive them. No, not as uh, so much as about the door." And he preached the word unto them. And they came unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born afore. four. So you already know what the story's about, don't you? You know that Jesus had come home, and as he returned home, some of the exploits or the miracles had followed him, and people began to hear of his popularity. But understand, we are only in Mark chapter 2. Not a lot has come to pass, and yet... Things were already beginning to grow, and Jesus was becoming more popular. And I have a feeling that in the, in the town of Capernaum especially, that Jesus had already made his mark on people before he was baptized and before he made his public ministry. And they were just waiting to see if Jesus was the Messiah. He had not yet burst onto the scene, but I think it was obvious to everybody that knew him that there was something different about him. He was the kindest person they'd ever met. He was the most compassionate person they'd ever met. There was a certain wisdom about him that they could not get around. You'll remember when Jesus was only 12 years old that he was able to answer the questions of the Pharisees in the temple. And so Jesus had a wisdom beyond his years and no doubt that shone forth throughout his life as he was in Capernaum. And the Bible says they began to come to him, and they brought this one that was sick of the palsy, and he was born of four, and when they could not, verse 4, come nigh unto him for the press, they uncovered the roof where he was, and when they had broken it up, they let down the bed where the sick of the palsy lay. When Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. And there were certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. Why doth this man thus speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? And immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned within themselves, he said unto them, Why reason ye these things in your hearts? Whether is it easier to say to the sick of the palsy, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise, and take up thy bed, and walk. But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins, he saith to the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise, and take up thy bed, and go thy way into thine house. And immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went forth before them all, insomuch that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw it on this fashion. Heavenly Father, help us, Lord. Lord, you burden my heart, but my thoughts are a bit scattered this morning, wondering which direction you would take this message. And Lord, I have an outline, but I don't want to do disservice to the Word of God by organizing away the important truths. So Lord, help us to be focused, help us... to 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 hear the Spirit of God as he teaches us and guides us into all truth. Lord, I surrender to you and ask you that you might fill me. Speak to our hearts, we pray. And Lord, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Throughout the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, we see that he healed a lot of people. The Bible says in the very last verse of the book of John that there were so many other things that he did that even the world itself cannot... Contain all the books should they be written. It's incredible to think that Jesus healed the multitudes, it says, I believe in John chapter 19. The multitudes followed him and he healed them there. So many came under the touch of Jesus. We see stories of him sitting by the Sea of Galilee and just healing many people one after another. One of the things that we do notice though is that as Jesus healed people, he often did it in different ways. Did you ever notice that? Just a blinded eye, he might just say to the man, see, and restore his sight. He might touch his eyes, and his sight comes back. Once he made clay as he took dirt in his hand and spit it in and he rubbed it in the man's eyes. So we see that the Lord Jesus worked in different ways. He stood at the tomb of Lazarus, and he said, Lazarus, come forth. But to Tabitha, he went into her room and he lifted her up. For the centurion, the centurion's servant, he said, "Go, just go. Your daughter is made whole." And at that very hour, she was healed. And on and on, we see how the Lord Jesus Christ performed miracle after miracle, but obviously in different ways. And in this case, it's very strange. There was a man that was sick of the palsy and it had disabled him to the point where he had to be carried by four different men. And I think there's a great illustration there that at times it takes more than one to get somebody to Jesus. Sometimes it's a team effort as we work and strive and the Bible says it this way that some plant and some water, but it's God that gives the increase and, and there's, there's a time of sowing and there's a, a time of reaping and the reapers are not always the ones that sow. I remember my wife praying for her father for 25 years before he accepted Christ. He didn't get saved how we thought he might get saved. It was a preacher that led him to the Lord that we never even knew when she started praying. So some sow and some reap. Some water in between, but it is God that gives the increase. In this case, we see this man as he is being brought to Jesus. And you know the story, they tore the roof off the place because there, there was so many crowded in that little house. And the Bible says they were pressed in there. And so they took the, the tiles or whatever it was, the thatched roof apart, and they lowered this man into his midst. And instead of Jesus saying, rise up and walk, he said, thy sins be forgiven thee. Now, just for clarity, I don't believe for a moment. I don't believe for a moment that Jesus was implying that this man was in his condition because of his sin. Not at least a personal sin. We understand as children of God that all hurt and pain and suffering and disease and all of those things are the result of the fall. As the sin of man in general, we have a sin nature. We were born into sin. We are of Adam race praise God for the last Adam that redeems us from the first Adam's race and from his fall and one day we will be raised incorruptible and this mortal shall put on immortality we've had a lot of funerals lately and we have another one coming up and and on and on I read those verses from first Corinthians 15 this this flesh shall not inherit the kingdom of God but when this incorrupt, or this corruption shall put on incorruption and this mortal shall put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that death shall be swallowed up in victory. And praise God for the second Adam, Jesus Christ, who paid the price for our sins that we can be made whole. And that's exactly what happened to this man as he was, his sins were forgiven, he was made whole. But here's the thing, he still couldn't walk. The Bible does not say he jumped up to his feet when Jesus said, Thy sins be forgiven. But in a few minutes, he would say, Take up thy bed and walk. And the man just did that. I think the Lord is trying to teach us something here. And when I say trying, the Lord is always successful in what he does. It's my hard head is why he, the trying part comes in. It's the hearing that is dull, not the preaching. Jesus always gets it right. Amen. But he's communicating to us a truth that we need to somehow understand. And I, I, I want to pray today that God would open our hearing and help us understand this. And, and let me make this blanket statement to start with. Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ is far more concerned with your soul than he is your physical well being. I'm going to set out to prove that this morning. Here's, here's the thing. We're often more concerned about our physical well-being than we are our soul. The Bible says, Exercise thyself rather unto godliness, for bodily exercise profiteth little. That does not mean, we, we, I, I like that verse, bodily exercise profiteth little, and I throw away exercise. But that's not what it means. The word little is a comparison word. A comparison word. And so in light of spiritual exercise, exercise thyself rather unto godliness, for body exercise profit little. He's saying there's far more benefit in spiritual life. But here's what we do. We work on the body. We hear that somebody in the church has cancer and we gather around them and we weep over them and we pray over them. When was the last time we did that for a lost soul? Don't get me wrong. I absolutely 100% believe that we ought to gather around that person. That we ought to pray for them. We ought to weep over them. We ought to plead God for mercy. I believe that. But Jesus stepped into a room and a man was lowered into his presence and they came and they said, he needs to be healed. And Jesus says, no, no, here's what he needs. He needs his sins to be forgiven. Jesus often doesn't answer the questions we asked, does he? Nicodemus asked, did you come from God? And Jesus asked, are you born again? See, Jesus is concerned about the spiritual man. He's more concerned about our souls than he ever is about our physical bodies. Notice What we see in the scriptures this morning, first of all, I want you to notice a ministry priority. A ministry priority. The Bible plainly says that this man was being brought to Jesus because he was sick of the palsy, yet Jesus chose to forgive his sins. It reveals his desire. The Masters, the Messiah. What was Jesus' desire when he came to this earth? Oh, he loved people, and he healed people, but that was only a means to draw them to him. I'm reminded of the man by the pool of Bethesda. The Bible says that there were many, many, many sick folks there, and they were waiting for the stirring of the waters that they might lower themselves and be healed. And we see the uh, all of these people, and the Bible says Jesus walked all around them, and he came to the one. He didn't heal anybody else there that day. Healing was not his priority. It was not his primary ministry. His desire was the souls of men. Luke chapter 19 verse 10 says, But the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was sick. That's not what it says, is it? He came to seek and to save that which was lost. That which was lost. Now, I don't want anybody leaving here today saying, Well, preacher, you don't care about anybody. That's not true at all. You don't think Jesus heals the sick. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying the priority in your life is your spiritual life, your inner man. That thing which is renewed day by day, the Bible says, if we are faithful to the things of God. The Bible says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. We are to give up this body. It's a living sacrifice that we might be holy, acceptable unto God. He's concerned about our spirit and our soul, and his desire is expressed when he comes and he heals this man, but he also, first and foremost, forgives his sins. Notice, secondly, it revealed his detractors. It revealed his detractors. You see, the Pharisees and the scribes, they really didn't have a big problem with Jesus healing people as long as they didn't do it on the Sabbath. As long as they didn't commit blasphemy and forgive sins... As long as in some way he didn't break the law, what do we care if he heals the odd person? As long as it didn't make him more popular than they. But in this case, the scribes were there. I have to believe that the scribes were there for a purpose, their job was to write things down. That's what a scribe does. And a scribe was not just in the in the Jewish uh, tradition. It wasn't just about copying the scriptures. That was one of their jobs. They would translate and copy the scriptures down and make out the scrolls and pass them on to each synagogue that needed them. and And, and they would have they would copy the word of God. There's no doubt about that. But they also recorded history. The Antiquities of the Jews is one of the, the, the greatest things you'll ever, uh, the greatest volume of work, I suppose, that was ever created as they meticulously wrote down genealogies and they wrote down the history of the Jewish people and the plight of the Jewish people. The Bible that we have, the Old Testament, is just a sliver of what the Jews have written about their life and their plight. And so the scribes were there. Perhaps they were there to write down what Jesus did. This was relatively early in the ministry of Christ and they wanted to know what was going on and so they, they showed up. But notice what it says in verse 7. Who does this man, or why does this man thus speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? You see, let me say this. There's a lot of religious groups out there today and there's a lot a lot, a lot of churches. Those that say we are Christian churches, those that say we hold to the Bible. And if you were to say, tell me about that church, you would say, well, they have a soup kitchen. And they hand out blankets in the park. And they've raised money and made donations and they put a new ball diamond in town. You know, and, and, and you could list all their good works. And by the way, those are good things. If you say I want to take some blankets down to the park, it's going to be cold tonight. Praise God. That's what Jesus would have done. If you want to feed the hungry, wonderful. But I'm just saying there's no gospel in them. They've turned into this social work. And again, there's nothing wrong with that I and mean, it flows from a heart that's saved. But where's the gospel well our gospel is one that feeds the sick and, and heals the or he heals the sick and feeds the poor and do- I want our gospel to be one that preaches Jesus that changes lives that people can find forgiveness for their sins that people can walk and be restored when they fall it's not wrong to have an outward working of the church. But let's never forget the inner man. And so many have forgotten him today. They revealed their critics. In all honesty, in all honesty, we could go out and do a lot of good works in this community, but when people come in and we start preaching on the sin of homosexuality, the sin of multiple wives, the sin of transgenderism, Sin. It's, it's sin. They're going to forget about all our good works. They're not going to care anymore. It won't matter that you invested millions of dollars into the community. And it won't matter that you feed the hungry and that you do hospital visits and you pray over the sick. And It, it won't matter what you do. Because the world doesn't care a bit about your soul. But Jesus said, that is priority one for me. There's a man who here is very sick. But I'm going to forgive his sins. That's the priority. But boy, that brought out his detractors, didn't it? The prophet knew this when he was choosing a king. But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as a man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. We could be a church that has an appearance. Here's here's what the Bible calls it. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. God says you need to turn away from that. That doesn't profit you. We could have a form. And Jesus could have taken the advantage of this day and had a form of godliness. He could have healed somebody. But instead he says, no, no, no. I'm not going to ignore the inner man. This man has faith. Enough to be saved. Enough to be forgiven. So he forgave his sins. We need to be a ministry that prioritizes the spiritual life. You say, oh, but they'll hate us. They hated Jesus. John 15 says, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you're not of the world, I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. So I just want to be loved by everybody. And listen, as much as life within you, you should live peaceably with all men. You should pay your bills. You should have a good reputation in the community. You should have integrity. You should be the hardest worker in your workplace. You should live peaceably. But when it comes to spiritual things, the Bible says, Jesus just says, the world is going to hate you because it hated me. So why not quit living the illusion and not worry about it anymore? And let's just preach Jesus. Let's tell people that they're on their way to hell and they're lost. You say, oh, that's not very kind. No, no, it is hatred to let somebody go to hell in their sins. They need Jesus. They need to be forgiven. Oh, one day, we will stand at the judgment seat of Christ and the Bible says the books will be opened and the death and hell will give up their dead and the sea shall cast forth her dead and whosoever was not found written in the Lamb's book of life shall be cast into the lake of fire and I wonder if their eyes will meet your gaze and they'll say, you never loved me. You must have really hated me to let me go to hell. And we're worried about being hated today. But we see thirdly, we're talking about his ministry priority. It revealed his desire, it revealed his detractors. But listen to this, it revealed his deity. It revealed his deity. Verse 7 says, Who doth this man thus speak? uh, Why doth this man thus speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? Exactly. Exactly. They, They answered their own question, didn't they? Who can forgive sins but God only? And you wonder if one of the scribes went, Oh. Oh. You remember reading about a Messiah? Could this be him? Hmm. I think it's obvious from the scripture, most of them threw up their hands in anger and began to cry out blasphemy. But I wonder if the heart of one or in the heart of those spectators, those that were there to receive a healing, that they realized that day this was holy God in their presence. I want you to notice secondly today, Jesus had a ministry priority, but he also had a magnificent perception. Look look what it says. I I love this. Look at verse 3. And they come unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. And when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, they uncovered the roof where he was. And when they had broken it up, they let him down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. When Jesus saw their faith, when he saw it, they said, Well, obviously, he saw it. It was accompanied by works. I mean, they had to get to Jesus so badly, they tore the roof open, they dropped the man down. Listen, understand this. When they tore the roof off and they let the man down, the purpose was for healing. But Jesus saw a faith that could forgive their sins. He looked to the heart. We already read 1 Samuel 16, verse 7, as as Samuel is being rebuked by the Lord because he could not find the king, and David had not yet appeared on the scene. He says, man looketh on the outward appearance, but God looketh on the heart. None of these are the man that I want. That ought to scare us to think that God looks upon our heart. Romans chapter 8, verse 27 says, And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Now listen, Romans 8:26 says, We know not how we ought to pray, but the Spirit maketh intercession for us. Romans 8:27 says, But he that searcheth the hearts You know who that's talking about there? It's talking about Jesus now. It's talking about Jesus. Because listen to the language of it. He that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit. So the Spirit has searched your heart. He has a certain mind about what God's will is. And now Jesus searches your heart because he knows the mind of the Spirit. And who is sitting at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us? Jesus. The point is this. Both the Spirit and Jesus Christ are regularly searching your heart, Brother Barnsley says, "Amen." I say, "Oh me!" That's a scary thought, isn't it, Brother? I think that God knows what's going on in here all the time, searching my heart, searching your heart, knowing what is your thoughts and your intents and your motives. It's so hard for us to judge motives, but God knows. He had a magnificent perception. He saw their faith. Many had come to see Jesus. The Bible says there was a press of people. I, I'm sure there were some who came to try to figure out who this Jesus was. They'd heard about him, but they wanted to know is he the Messiah? There were scribes there. There were people there. Some came to hear and some came to be healed. But the point is this Jesus could see that these men that lowered this crippled man down, was different he had a resolute faith a faith that could save him I'm reminded of ten lepers that came to Jesus to be healed all ten were healed one returned to Jesus to thank him and when he returned he says where are the nine he didn't know But Jesus looked at that man and said, Thy faith hath made thee whole. You see, his faith was different than the others. They had come to Jesus to see what they could get. One came and was saved. And this man had a different type of faith. His faith was in the Son of God. His faith recognized who this was, and as he came, it wasn't just some miracle worker or some prophet. Uh, there There were miracles in the Old Testament. Before Jesus came, there was the parting of the Red Sea. There was a swimming axe head made of iron. We see all over and over again the prophets doing great things in the name of God, but this man somehow realized this wasn't just in the name of God, this was God. And as a result, he was forgiven of his sins. He saw their faith, and he saw their failures. You might say, well, we know that all have sinned. We know that this man was a sinner just like everybody else, and Jesus knew that. And so when he said, thy sins are forgiven, but I want you to notice the language of the Scripture. He says, son, thy sins be forgiven thee. Jesus seemed to know that this man had sinned. He didn't list it. He didn't embarrass him. But he pointed right into his heart and he said, I'm forgiving your sins today. Not just because you're a sinner, but because you have specific sins. You have failed God. So we see that they saw their failures. But I want you to see this. Not only was there a magnificent perception, there was a, mess- a messianic power. Notice verses 8 through 12. <laughs> And immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned within themselves, he said unto them, Why reason ye these things in your hearts? Whether is it easier to say to the sick of the palsy, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise and take up thy bed and walk, but that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins, he saith to the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise and take up thy bed, and go thy way into thine house. And immediately he rose took up the bed and went forth before them all, insomuch that they were amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw it on this fashion. Notice that there's no distinction of what type of sin he was forgiving. He just says, thy sins. I don't know if this man, before he became sick, was a murderer. I don't know if he was an insurrectionist. I don't know if he just told lies. I don't know. The fact of the matter is, it doesn't matter. Jesus' blood is all sufficient. And when Jesus forgave him, he said, thy sins, it's all done. There's a, there's a power about Jesus, this messianic power, that he had the power to forgive sins. The Bible says in 1 John 1, 7, but if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. There's a psalm that somebody wrote. It says, I don't know how big a sinner you are, but I know how big my God is. He's a Savior. And His blood can cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He can forgive you of all. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 1, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. Listen, the Bible lists a whole bunch of things that will send you to hell. But when He says God can forgive you, He just says, I'll forgive you of your sins. No matter what it is, you can come to him today. We see that the man was forgiven of all of his sins. He healed the man to prove that he had power to forgive sins. Notice what it says in verse 10. But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins, I say unto thee, arise and take up thy bed and walk and go thy way into thine house. Jesus healed the man. Just to prove to everybody else, I have the power to forgive sin. Isn't that something? Yeah, we prioritize the healing over the spiritual power, over the cleansing of our souls, over being right with God. I often wonder if we can't get this first thing right, will we ever see healing? Is oh God, would you heal them? Would you heal them? I'd never never want somebody to trust me with a prayer request. And I find out in heaven one day that my sin hindered my prayer life with God so that they could not be healed. Wouldn't that be horrible? We're begging, we're pleading God to heal this person. Yet we live a sinful life apart from God. I said recently, we've had a lot of funerals, and at these funerals, I hear the same thing. It's funny when somebody finds out you're a pastor, it changes how they talk. I told you one time I went to a a barber shop. Thank you for not laughing. I went to a barber shop, and I mean, they were cussing and swearing, and it was older men. And they were using all kinds of language and they turned to me. I'd never been there before. And they said, I was already in the chair and already getting clipped or I would have left. And they said, what do you do? I said, I'm a pastor. And I'm telling you, they tripped over words and calling me all oh, father and all kinds of things and holy this. And I mean, good night. It was, it was, it was, it was comical. But I've been at funerals lately where it's like that too. Well, we've been praying for them for so long. Have you? It's funny because I've never seen you at a prayer meeting at church. I didn't even know you were a believer. You've never made a profession of faith. You've never trusted Christ as your Savior. And yet, I know for a fact that some of the people I've met at several of these places over the years, they're into drugs and alcohol and they're living an immoral life. And they get up and do a eulogy while well, we prayed long. Can I tell you today, Jesus is more concerned about your spiritual life than he is the physical. Didn't I say that right at the beginning? We've got the cart before the horse. And how are we doing any spiritual good when we're not walking with the Lord? You say, you say well, are you walking in the... Cl-? No, no. It's a battle every single day. Paul says, I, I have to keep myself under subjection lest I become a castaway. I don't want to be unuseful for the Lord. He healed the man just to prove that he had power. And listen to verse 10. That ye may know. Let me ask you this today. Are you confident in the fact that Jesus can forgive you at anything? Then why don't we live like it? Here's why. Because Satan just keeps whispering in your ear that you're not worthy. Let me tell you this. The blood of Jesus Christ is sufficient to pay the price for all of our sins. And if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Have you applied it today? Oh, you you don't know what sin... Jesus didn't say there was any particular sin. He just said, I'm going to forgive you of all your sins. It's enough. Do you appreciate it? Do you understand what it means for Jesus to be able to forgive you of your sins and all that took place? Surely he hath borne our grief, went to the cross of Calvary and shed his blood, died an agonizing death and bore the sins of mankind upon his shoulders that we might be free if we'll put our faith in him. Do you take advantage of it? Well, let me ask you, do you adorn it? Do you live forgiven? i met so many people that walk around with guilt and shame. Jesus suffered and paid the price that you wouldn't have to. Here's the thing. Sometimes Satan whispers in our ear, but here's, here's the problem. Sometimes other Christians whisper it too. Well, I, I saw that. That drug addict gets saved today, but we'll just see how long that lasts. Hmm. Why not pray for him? Why not invite him out for coffee? Why not get him into a connection group? Why not encourage him? Why not disciple them? Teach them the things of God. You see, because it's the Word of God that transforms lives. Why don't you get him in there? Don't be that stumbling block. Hey, aren't, aren't you glad you're forgiven? Why don't we rejoice when somebody else gets forgiven? Quit dragging up the past. That's Satan's job. Jesus forgave the man his sins. Notice this, verse 12. Verse 11 says, I say unto thee, Arise and take up thy bed and go thy way into thine house. And immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went forth from before them all insomuch that they were all what? and glorified God, and rightfully so, saying we never saw it on this fashion. Let me say this. The people got all excited when the man got healed. But we don't see anybody falling at the feet of Jesus saying, please forgive me. They rejoiced over the miracle. But they didn't care about the spiritual thing that took place that day. You see, why is that? Well, that's a human condition. We're all like that. Here's why, and I'm going to give you three reasons, and I'm done. Number one, we typically walk by sight and not by faith. They could see the miracle, they couldn't see what happened in the man's heart. We get excited about things that we see, but God has called us to be a people of faith. Here's the thing. The Bible never says there's rejoicing in the presence of angels when somebody gets cured from cancer. When is there rejoicing? When a lost sinner gets saved. Oh, but they can see something we cannot see. But you know for a fact that you got forgiven and that He can forgive others too. We need to be a people of faith, not of just sight. And understand that Jesus is working. We're we're skeptical about the one who gets saved, and we doubt that someone who's been forgiven can also be delivered. It's because we walk by sight and not by faith. Here's the second reason why we struggle with this. We typically live for instant gratification. What do you mean by that? What was the man's immediate need? If you saw a man being brought in on a bed, you'd say, oh... I pity this fellow. I'm hoping Jesus can heal him. And we would have loved for Jesus to be healed. And he jumped up and ran around the room and rejoiced and took his bed and threw it away and all the rest. And we would have, boy, that would have been a great theme for a movie. That's not what Jesus did. He said, thy son's sins be forgiven thee. You see, we typically look for instant gratification. Gratification. You say, how do I I know if I'm doing that? Ask yourself the question. When we have a problem or a situation or something arises, our number one question is this, how can I fix this? And it might even be through prayer. You might have a spiritual reason. God, I'm having a financial issue. Help me out. God, I'm I'm sick. Would you heal me? Here's what our first question ought to be. Listen, you you should ought to pray all those things, right? But here's what your first question ought to be. God, what are you working in me? See, God was working something far greater in this man's life. It wasn't about his healing, it was about his forgiveness. Let me say this, you can go to heaven with crutches. You can't go to heaven without forgiveness. By the way, when you get to heaven, they throw the crutches away anyway. You can go to heaven, you can die of cancer and go to heaven... You can't go without forgiveness. Without being cleansed. Without being made righteous in Christ. Here's the third thing. We typically deny our own needs and justify our sin. Well, I'm not as bad as that guy. This isn't so bad. There could be worse things that I could be doing. And we deny our need to be forgiven. Isn't this, isn't this something that we get a bad diagnosis that drives us to our knees? Let me give you a bad diagnosis. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. For the wages of sin is death. That's a bad diagnosis. That'll drive us to our knees all the time. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And if we confess our sins, He is faithful and He is just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What was Jesus trying to teach? The spiritual man is far more important than the physical. And yes, we will pray for healing. The Bible tells us very plainly in the James, is there any sick among you? Let them call for the elders and they'll anoint with oil and they'll pray and the, the prayer of the faith shall save the sick. We, we see that in Scriptures. We know that Jesus is the great physician. Well, let's never elevate what God is working in our lives above the spiritual man. Instead, we have to understand He is working all things together for good. He has a plan for our lives. Are you forgiven today? Have you prioritized your spiritual life over your physical? Here's the thing. I heard of a preacher one time. I know him, and I won't say his name because it Somebody came up to him and told him he was 97 years old, and he said, "Pastor, he says I've got I've got cancer." And the preacher, I don't think he heard him just right. I'm not sure what happened, but he said, "Well, we all got to die of something." Boy, a callous day. I, I hope I never say anything like that. It sounds so calloused. But here's the truth: you can do whatever you want death has a 100% success rate. You know, you, you you can run 25 miles a day. That would kill me. But eventually you'll die. But you have a soul that is eternal and will live somewhere forever. Maybe we should invest our time in that. I believe that's what Jesus was showing us. Father, we love you. Help us, we pray. Be a people of faith, a people that fall upon your mercy day after day, knowing that you love us and you'll forgive us. Speak to our hearts, we pray. There's a lost and dying world that have a lot of needs, but their primary need is a Savior. Lord, I don't want to miss all that. I don't want to miss the opportunity to share with them Jesus. So Lord, we do pray that you'd speak to our hearts. Help us, we pray. Well, thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. The piano's going to begin to play. Brother Paul's going to come and take the invitation as I prepare for baptism today. and He has some announcements.